I hope all of you guys are, just while I'm thinking about it, um, I hope you guys are doing the, the New Testament challenge with us and reading through the New Testament this, this school year. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, we've challenged you to read through the New Testament this school year. And uh, we have plans that look like this that has a, a daily reading schedule, just a chapter a day. If you don't have one of these, there, there's, some of these are on the back table back there. You can also find a digital copy on our website, lakeviewau.org. Um, it's a chapter each day, and if you so desire, on our podcast, just uh, look up Lakeview College Ministry, click on the one that has my name, Kevin Webb, on it. Um, we have a daily podcast on each chapter, just a short podcast to help you think of some things in each chapter. But anyway, uh, hope you're doing that, and if you're not, not too late to start, so go do that. But Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about, again, some things that we all struggle with. Um, so this is a series called Cross Culture. And just to set it up much like I did last week, why it's, why it's called that, what I mean by that, if you weren't here, it's simply this, that we who call ourselves Christians, um, who peop- or people who have understood, if, if, if what we mean by Christian is people who have understood themselves to be sinners against God, uh, know that we need saving from our sins against God, know that I cannot save myself from my sins, I can't be good enough, I can't try hard enough, I cannot clean myself up, I need cleaning by someone else. And, and a Christian is one who sees that need in themselves before God and who also sees that Jesus Christ, that's the reason he came, that he is God who came, that he lived the perfect life that I was supposed to live but have not lived. He died in my place. So he lived in my place. He died in my place. And he rose again in my place so that in him, turning away from my sins, repenting of my sins, confessing of my sins, and putting all my faith in Jesus Christ, the promise of Scripture is that I am forgiven of all my sins and I stand totally righteous in the, in the sight of God. And a Christian who believes that, and a group of Christians that believe that, they ought to be a unique culture of people, a unique subset of people on this planet. Cross-culture usually means how we, as, say, Americans, communicate with somebody of another culture somewhere else in the world. But that's not what I mean by that. I mean we're a culture of people who find our identity and our, our uh, acceptance in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, in that sense, Christians, you ought to find a you ought to be able to find a, a unique culture among Christians that looks the same no matter where you find them in the world, you know, whether it's here or in, in China or Africa or anywhere else. Christians have this, the Holy Spirit is creating this same kind of person. They all happen to be growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ, you know. So that's what we mean by, by cross-culture. Um, the Bible describes people who... Uh, Christians as those who are in Christ, that we are new creations in Jesus Christ. Like we said last week, uh, uh, someone who's come to Christ in repentance of faith and faith before God, they are as accepted in his sight as Jesus Christ is accepted and as loved as Jesus is loved and as righteous as Jesus is righteous and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That That's... Um, that's what it means to be a new, new creation in Christ. But something else that it means as it pertains to this series is that means we are 
free to be honest with each other about our struggles and our sins and our shortcomings. The reason for that is because I find all of my identity and all of my worth and all of my everything in Jesus Christ. And so I don't I, don't, I no longer feel the need to keep up pretenses about myself before you. My hope is not who I can fool you into believing that I am. Like, my, I am going to be honest about who I am so that you can see who I am and see that I'm not trying to keep anything up because it, all of my all is in Jesus. And if you can see the real me, you can see the Jesus who makes me whole, Right? And, uh, and as we're honest with each other then, which we started last week when we talked about fear, anxiety, and worry. And when we're honest with each other, again, I'm going to keep repeating these things so you remember them. When we're honest with each other, the Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another. tells us to be real with each other. The reason it does that is at least twofold. One, when, you are, when you're real with someone else, you, you open up yourself to them. Whatever struggle that is that you struggle with or, or that sin that you've been struggling to overcome, it begins to weaken at that point. Um, because Satan likes to work in darkness. Satan likes to work in hiddenness. Satan's deception is the strongest in hiddenness and, and, um, and darkness. And so when you bring it into the light, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we bring it to the light, um, that is... Uh, the Holy Spirit can use that and use our brothers and sisters in Christ to speak truth into our lives and help us to overcome those struggles and those sins. But the second reason is, like I've already mentioned, when I'm honest about myself, Jesus is magnified. And like John, John the Baptist says, uh, he must increase, I must decrease. And I can do that by just telling you, being real about myself. All my life, all my hope, all my comfort, all my good is in Jesus. So we want to begin every week with the gospel. I'm going to do it in a unique way tonight. I, I, um, I'm, going to do it, I'm, going to, I'm going to do it in the way that the church has done it forever. Um, to, one of the things I read last week to summarize the gospel, the truth of the gospel, was from the Heidelberg Catechism. Remember that? If you were here. That um, was written in the 1500s, around, the, around 1560 ish. And the catechism has been a, around as long as the church has been around to teach the truths of the Christian faith in question and answer form. And so it asks a question and in the, in the answer given to that question provided, it teaches you the Christian faith. And uh, what I want to do, I, I told you two of those questions last week. Um, I want to focus on one of those questions to, uh, to begin tonight and I want us to say it together. I want to, I'm going to ask the question, and I want us to say the answer together. And it just might be that we do this every week. Because I want to drill it into your head, into your heart, and into your bones. I want, by the end of this semester, I want you to be able to recite this answer from memory. Because it is so good. It is such biblical truth. And the question is, is uh, simply this. Um, how are you right with God? That's question number 60 uh, in this catechism. How are you right with God? And here's the answer, and we can say it together. It's long. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments 
and of never having kept any of them. And even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me, all I need to do is to accept the gift of God with a believing heart. That's good. That's good. That, that, that just makes me want to melt every time I read it. So last week, uh, we talked about fear, anxiety, and worry. Because it's something we all struggle with. And I said that, I think it's, I think it's the, probably the greatest struggle that we struggle with, all of us, in some form or fashion. Um, and, and tonight, what we're going to talk about probably runs a close second. Um, and, and it is this, gossip and slander. Gossip and slander. Um, the reason that this is um, not number one on the list is because we're not always talking. You know, fear, anxiety, and worry plagues you even when you're not talking. If we talked all the time, this would be number one because we're, we're really guilty of it. Um, gossip and slander. And I, I'll just go ahead and say, like I did last week, I, last week was, was great. It was, it, was, it was good to just be, be real about our fear, anxiety, and, and worry. But I, I left here feeling like I just left so much unsaid. There just, there just is. So just know that when we come here, I'm not going to say that everything that there is to say um, about any of these topics, but I just want to give you some biblical truth about them, and then we can pray together through these struggles. Um, but gossip and slander tonight. Uh, I know we already prayed a lot tonight, but I feel like we need to pray again before we talk about these things. Father, thank you so much for your holy inspired word that leads us in the paths of righteousness. Uh, we confess that we're going to look at a lot of, lot of scriptures tonight. But everyone we look at is, is inspired of the Holy Spirit. It's inerrant without error. Everything it teaches is true. And, and it's our authority. And it's sufficient for every need we have. It's clear. If we come across a passage that is hard to understand, uh, you, we know that there is some other passage of scripture that teaches the same truth that is much clearer to understand. So... It's clear, and uh, it's necessary. If we don't have what it says here, we're lost. It's our authority. Uh, help us to, to, to see our struggle with our words. Help us to see clearly in our own lives how we sin with our words. Father, I'm going to speak very generally tonight. Uh, but each one of us knows our own particular struggle. So I pray that you might take biblical truth and biblical, the scriptures we look at tonight and just bring them all to bear in our own personal walk with you. Help us to honor you with our words. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, scripture has a lot to say about our words. A lot. Um, probably the one book of the Bible that says the most about our words. What book do you think would do you think would have the most to say about our words? No, but it's a great book. Close. 
Yes. Who said Proverbs? Lindsay, yeah. <laughs> Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is just full of stuff about our words. Um, I'm going to give you a sampling of what the Proverbs has to say about our words. And I, my, I, by the end of this, I'm going to remind you that it was just a sampling. <laughs> uh, here's one. This is Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression, or that means sin, sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent or wise. How, how would I, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. When words are many, sin is not lacking. Here's my paraphrase of that. The more you talk, the more you sin. That's what it basically says. When words are a lot of them, well, there's a lot of sin. <laughs> That's what it says. In the same chapter, just a few verses later, Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. In the next chapter, Proverbs 11. Whoever belittles his neighbor. This is a, I'm sorry, Proverbs eleven twelve. That's right. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. I like how straightforward the proverbs are. Whoever belittles his neighbor basically is stupid. That's what it says. Lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. In other words, did you notice that? A man of understanding does. It doesn't necessarily a man of understanding. Uh, says positive things, it just says he keeps quiet. <laughs> what? Okay, Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. They just keep on coming. Proverbs 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. One chapter later, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words. Here's a couple of verses in the very next chapter, chapter 17. In fact, these, are, these two verses are back to back. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains words, his words, has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Very next verse, Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is deemed wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You've all heard Mark Twain, right? Mark Twain said, better to be quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Um, now in chapter 18, 18, 2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Ooh. Some of us have a lot of opinions. A few verses later, same chapter, 18.7. A fool's mouth is his ruin. And his lips are a snare to his soul. And finally, Proverbs 21.23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. You know, 
That's just a sampling from Proverbs. But you see in that, just in that sampling, the importance that is attached to our words and the weight that is attached to our words. Um, it's incredible. And now all those aren't about gossip and slander. Uh, some are, are, I guess, but, but really they're just about the broader issue about the, the many, many ways we sin with our mouth. We sin with our words and our tongue. And like I alluded to earlier, notice that the general, basically in that little run of verses in Proverbs, the general counsel of Scripture is simply be quiet and talk less. That's what, that's what you get. I just, you wrote, many of you wrote down those references. Go home tonight and like read them again. And how many of them said the wise man keeps quiet? You know, and when words are, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. What does that imply? Talk less. You'll sin less with your words. Um, so, you know, uh, just keep, keep quiet. You know, that's a, that's, a good, that's a good, wise move in a lot of situations. When people are talking, just, just keep quiet, you know. But we're going to talk about gossip and slander tonight. And we're going to look at several different passages, several different passages tonight. But if you wanted to turn to one place in Scripture that describes the importance of our word, maybe better than any other place, you would go to the close second, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And uh, we'll read verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a sobering word for people like me. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. You know, we're going to, hopefully we'll come around to, that's an interesting statement. And why would it be that if a man could keep from sinning with his words, would he be a perfect man? We'll get around to that. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by Strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. <laughs> James, man. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. If you were back there in uh, verse 2 and you saw it say, uh, if, uh, or, yeah, if, uh, where does it say? It would be a perfect man. 
Yeah, there he is. If, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. If any of you read that in verse 2 and said, well, I'm going to work hard at not stumbling in what I say, sorry, verse 8 comes along and hits you in the face like no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And that's what James has to say about it. There's a lot there. But one unmistakable thing that jumps out at you is that it's how incredibly important and how, how powerful and influential our words are. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. How many forest fires have been, how enormous forest fires have been set ablaze because somebody flicked a cigarette out of the window. You know? And... and James didn't have cigarettes in mind, but he had tiny, tiny flame causing huge forest fire. And that's what our words do. And I think, this, I think Scripture, we just, we've already looked at a bunch of Scripture. I think Scripture says so much about it because not only is it true, but I fear that it's also because we often pay so precious little attention to what we say. We just don't pay attention to what comes out of our mouths. We're not, we're not discerning. Um, social media makes it worse. You know, we just, we're just fountain of, fountains of words. And, and, and we, uh, we just are careless with so many of our words. We repeat so many things we hear without being discerning. And, and, uh, and call, we just, man, we just, if we're going to let Scripture t tell us what it does, Scripture is telling us it causes a lot of problems. Gossip and slander cause a lot of problems. Those are the two most common sins we commit with our words, and that's gossip and slander, except for maybe lying, being dishonest with our words. But gossip and slander, we are so tragically guilty of gossip and slander. Um, and if you ever thought, you need to think about it this way. Gossip and slander, when we commit those sins, it always says as much, if not more, about us than it does the person we're talking about and whatever it is we said about them. It says more about you. Uh, when you gossip about somebody or slander them, that very act is saying as much or more about you than whatever it is you're saying about them. But what is gossip and what is slander? I guess let's get our terms right. There's a hundred definitions you could give of them. But Jerry Bridges, who's now with the Lord, but in his book, Respectable Sins, the title alone ought to give that away, that there are there are sins that we commit that we don't take as seriously as other sins. And we think they're, in a sense, more respectable than some other sins. And this is one of those, gossip and slander. 
are, are um, we don't see them sometimes as nearly as serious. But here's how he defined gossip. Gossip is the spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is true. So it could be something true you're saying about somebody. But why are you saying it to someone else? Why are you even talking about that other person? And closely related to gossip, gossip being the spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is true, slander is making a false statement or misrepresentation about another person that defames or damages the person's reputation. Once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you can't put it back in. Um, you, can, you can really damage someone's reputation in one statement that doesn't even have to be true. Happens in politics all the time. On a somewhat related note, not necessarily about slander, but gossip has a close cousin of flattery. Flattery. And I just, this, 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 this statement is too good to just leave out. We're not even talking about flattery, but this is a good statement from Kent Hughes in the book Disciplines of a Godly Man. Now, I know half of you in this room are not going to read Disciplines of a Godly Man. It wouldn't hurt you if you did. Uh, this uh, particular uh, statement in that book is not uh, specific to men or women. But on the subject of gossip and flattery, Kent Hughes says, Gossip is saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. Boom. That's, uh, that's pretty strong. But gossip and, uh, and slander are often mentioned together in, in Scripture. Uh, probably because those who are given to gossip are that's all of us, are very likely also given to slander. Um, so look, for example, in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. Again, I'm, I'm just going to give um, general thoughts to you tonight and let you see the Scriptures, and I'll let you talk about your specific struggle with it and I'm just confident that as we look at the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit can say to you in your heart more than I can say to you from my mouth. Romans 1, verses 28 through 30. This is a whole... Romans 1 is a whole list of the ungodliness of men on the earth. Men who suppress the truth. Back in verse 18. What are they like? And among all the things that they are like, beginning in verse 28, are they are people that do not see fit to acknowledge God. And as a result, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So here we, here we have a list of things that ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. There they are, right side by side. Haters of God. Oh, my goodness. Gossip and slander is in a list right beside haters of God. That's how serious Scripture puts it. 
insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. By the way, that one's also in the list. Disobedient to parents. Right next to inventors of evil. <laughs> uh, so there, is a, there, there are some sins that are worse than others, but in another sense, in another sense, they're, they're all on a level playing field, you know? Or, for example, flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Brother Al is preaching through 2 Corinthians now on Sunday morning, so make sure you're here for that. 2 Corinthians 12.20. Paul has, in this chapter, just talked about his thorn in the flesh and, uh, and his... Then he moves on to talking about concerns he has for the church there in Corinth. And just one verse, he tells them in verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wished, and that you may find me not as you wished, that there perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. There they are side by side. Just one more to see them side by side. Keep flipping to the right, 1 Timothy 5, verses 13 and 14. 1 Timothy 5, 13, besides that, they learned to be idlers going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips, busybodies. Busybodies is a word in the Bible. Busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. There they are, linked up again very closely. There's warning after warning after warning in Scripture about gossip and slander and other sins of the tongue. But why? Why is it such a, why is it such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because uh, every sin and every struggle that we have with our words is a sin is ultimately a sin and a struggle we have in our heart. It's not a mouth issue. It's a heart issue. That's why it's a big deal. Um, our words are a heart issue, and it does. And Scripture tells us that all the way through the Bible, all the way through. Again, I told you we're going to look at a lot of Scripture. You, you don't have to turn here if you don't want to, but I'll we'll go all the way back. But in Leviticus. Leviticus. By the way, you might dread like reading Leviticus. You mean like in your Bible plan, you're like Genesis is awesome, Exodus is awesome, Numbers is kind of awesome, then it gets kind of slow. Like or like and Deuteronomy is awesome, but Leviticus right there in the middle. Leviticus, it's just law. You did know that if you read Nehemiah, a revival breaks out. Why? Because they read Leviticus. Um, but in Leviticus chapter 19. These are the verses immediately before Leviticus 19, 18, where, where you have the famous saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But right before the words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you, in verse 18, you have these words in verses 16 and 17. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of of your neighbor, I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, 
But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. And it's in the very next verse that God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So one way not to love your neighbor as yourself is to gossip about them or slander them. But do you see the parallel in those, in those two verses? You shall, you shall not go around as a slanderer. What's another way of saying that? You shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's the, that's the parallel there. Why do, people, why do people go around as a slanderer in verse 16? Well, it's because verse 17 says they hate them in their heart. Slander is a heart issue. Leviticus tells you that. Right? Slandering your neighbor is parallel by hating your neighbor in your heart. It's a heart issue. Or keep going in the Old Testament in Psalm 15. This is, this is David in Psalm 15. David begins that psalm this way. Uh, psalm 15.1 says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? That's the question. Who, shall, who, sh, who, can, who, who can stand in your presence, Lord? Here's how he begins his answer, verses 2 and 3. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does not evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So, there you see the parallel again. Who can stand before the Lord? It's not just the one who, who does, it's, it's the one who doesn't slander with his tongue. The one who doesn't do that is the one who speaks the truth in his heart. Speaks, see, he who walks blameless does not, does right, speaks the truth in his heart. What's the, what's the fruit of that? Does not slander with his tongue. Those who speak the truth in their heart don't slander with their tongue. Side note. I've got two side notes about that. How do you... What does it mean when it says, he who speaks truth in his heart? What does that look like? Speaks truth in his heart. How does one speak truth in his heart? It doesn't just know truth in his heart, but speak truth in his heart. Colby should be able to answer this question. Absolutely. You better know it. You better know it. In, in your mind all the day, you've got God's Word rolling around in your heart and in your mind. You go throughout the day meditating on His Word in your heart. You're speaking the truth in your heart. When you've got, when you've got God's Holy Word in your, in, your, you know, in your heart and in your mind and you're memorizing Scripture, it does not even dawn on you to slander somebody else. That feels filthy. It just does. It feels wrong to slander somebody else. That's because the Holy Spirit is real. Another side note about this. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who will dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue. And you read that and you go, ain't nobody standing in his, in his holy hill. Like, if, if the only people who are going to stand in his holy hill and sojourn in his tent 
the tent of the Lord are those who walk blamelessly and do what is right and, and never slander or never. Who's the only person that ever did that? Jesus, exactly. Jesus is the only one who ever walked blamelessly on this earth. He's the only one who spoke the truth in his heart and did not slander with his tongue. We know that because 1 Peter 2.22 says he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He's the only one that did that. That's why it's so important to be in favor with God is to be in Christ because he's the one who can stand. New Testament. We're still talking about the link between gossip and your heart. It's a heart issue. And I'm trying to show you that I'm not saying that. Scripture says that. One of the best places to see that is in Matthew 12 in the New Testament. Matthew 12. Here's what he says. Here's what Jesus says in verses 33 through 37. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Jesus said, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why does he say that? Because again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our words and our actions are evidence of the state of our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And even back in our passage we started in, in James 3, that is why he ends that passage in James 3 with, does a spring, in verses 11 and 12, does a, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce or yield fresh water. He's saying, like the whole scripture has said, the words that come out of our mouths have a source, and it's not our brains, it's our hearts. And so when you, when you right now recognize and can think of instances where you have gossiped about somebody or you have slandered somebody, and you can think about those instances, and you go, and, that, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit is bringing you under conviction of those things, and you say, I want to get a handle on that. Don't try, to, don't, don't try to go to work on your words. Try to go to work on your heart. Now, how do you do that? You, you, you try and you see the whole issue through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how you do it. That's the whole point of this series. So how do we see this issue of gossip and slander through the lens of the cross? And I just want to give you two big points about this before we break up and, and pray together. One is this. Realize that Jesus bore the sin of gossip and slander on the cross. Realize that Jesus bore the sin of gossip and slander on the cross. Jesus was slandered all the way to the cross. In fact, Jesus went to the cross and hung on a cross from an earthly perspective, from a heavenly perspective, right? God said in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4 that 
Jesus was delivered over according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. From God's perspective, Jesus hung on that cross. Isaiah 53 says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So the cross, when, when Jesus got arrested, it wasn't like God the Father going, oh my goodness, what happened? He knew. He planned it. It was his idea. But from an earthly perspective, from a human perspective, Jesus went to the cross and hung on the cross because of the slander of other people. They slandered him with falsehoods so that he went to the cross. And so know that your gossip and my gossip and slander against other people was fully redeemed on the cross. So if you've gossiped and slandered about someone and you have confessed that to that person, you felt guilty about it as you should, and you've gone to that person and you've asked for their forgiveness and they refuse to give it, Jesus said, or the scriptures say, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And you cannot control whether or not someone will forgive you for what you said. They may not have forgiven you. But God in Christ has forgiven you if you are repentant. So no, Jesus bore your sin of gossip and slander on the cross. And, notice, and, and note too that gossip and slander are as much sins that separate you from God as anything. So it's serious. So for one, realize that Jesus bore your sin of, of gossip and slander on the cross. But here's the other truth. Gossip and slander are a fundamental denial of the cross. Gossip and slander are a fundamental denial of the cross. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Paul is saying there that when he came to Corinth preaching, he focused only on the cross of Christ. But why? Because we see everything through that lens. And when I gossip about you or slander against you I am not seeing you through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ that's on me if I if if I know something about you that's unfavorable and I tell somebody else about that that's on me for not seeing you through the lens of Jesus Christ certainly if I spread a falsehood and if if you are a believer that I'm gossiping about or if you're a believer that I'm slandering then the reason I'm not seeing you through the lens of, 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 of Christ is because I am gossiping about you, I'm slandering you, in, in, instead of seeing your sins and your struggles and your shortcomings as hidden in Christ just like mine are. And if you're not a believer, if I'm, if I'm gossiping or slandering about an unbeliever, then uh, rather than offering you life with my words through the gospel, I'm killing you twice over. I'm killing you twice over because I'm leaving you dead in your sins eternally because I'm, not sharing, I'm, I'm gossiping and slandering you rather than sharing the gospel with you. And I'm ruining your reputation at the same time. I'm killing you eternally and earthly. Two final things before we pray for each other. In, in terms of just get, getting, your, getting your, a handle on your heart so that you don't gossip. 
and do what the scriptures say and just be quiet. One is, throughout the day, all day, every day, and this is why gong, scripture memory is so important. Set your thoughts on the beauty and the glory of God in Christ. Just think about that all day long. Think about the beauty of God in Christ. Think about His glory. Think about His majesty. Look around at His creation and marvel at Him. Just become drunk on Him. And it just will feel filthy to gossip or slander. You you will tend not to be as petty and sinful with your words. And if you're tempted to talk about someone else, the last thing I'll say is pray for them first. Pray for them first. Um, It's hard to gossip or slander somebody you're praying for. All right. Well, I've been real general. I haven't been very specific at all. That's been by design. So as we gather into groups of no more than five to pray together for a few minutes, um, we can be honest about how we in particular struggle with these sins. And if there's, let me just say right now, consider, consider if there's anyone you need to confess to and ask forgiveness from. If they're here and you're here, what an opportune time. Uh, and as people of the cross, um, of all people, we should be people who can confess to each other. And of all people, we should absolutely forgive.